There we go. So good morning. We are joined by Mark Yaxley, who is one of the, or is the managing director of Strategic Wealth Preservation, SWP, based in the Caymans. Uh, and Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and answer some of our questions or my questions. It's my pleasure. So Mark, why don't we start off by you explaining uh, a little bit about yourself and your, your background and history and how you landed in this position of being a managing uh, director of SWP. Sure, I started in the precious metals field uh, when I was uh, 26 years old. That was back in 2006. I grew up in Montreal, Canada, and ended up getting a job at Kitco, which a lot of people are familiar with, one of the larger precious metals dealers in the world. And, and that's where I learned the business. It was a great place to really uh, learn everything that is, that is gold and silver. Um, I left Kitco in 2013 and did some consulting for other precious metals dealers for about two years. And then I was invited down to the Cayman Islands to start SWP uh, with my partners who live in, in Grand Cayman. And uh, the second I set foot uh, on the sandy shores of, of Grand Cayman, I was pretty much sold on the, on the whole concept. So have been doing that uh, every day since 2015. So you're based in the Caymans, you're living in the Caymans. No, actually I live in, uh, in Golden, British Columbia. Oh. I, I lived in Grand Cayman for three years. Uh, on a work visa. I was, I was an employee of the company at the time, obviously. And I loved my experience there. Uh, but life took me in a different direction, uh, marriage and then relocation. Uh, and we ended up back here in, uh, in British Columbia. So it's, uh, I still work for the business full time. Uh, we have staff spread out all over the world at this point. So uh, we're, we're pretty remote, but we still have our, our main vault and our, our vaulting staff and many my partners who live in Grand Cayman and run the business there. Okay, so uh, you're the managing director, but you're also an owner, is that right? And there's three. That's right. I'm one of. Yeah. That's right. So yeah, one of three owners of the company, and the other two owners are residents in Grand Cayman. So what can you tell me about the owners? I can tell you a little bit about their background. Uh, we spoke about it earlier. For privacy reasons, uh, we don't disclose uh, their names. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I'm, I'm comfortable doing it, but uh, I would have to, to check with them first uh, for privacy and security reasons, mm -hmm. um, which I'm sure you can understand. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'll give you a little bit about their backgrounds and, and how it fed into the creation of SWP, because that's really what's relevant at the end of the day. So one of the two partners uh, was the managing director of the island's largest security company uh, when we met. So his entire business was built around commercial security, residential home security, um, VIP security on island. And so he brought and also was, he was a police officer earlier in his life. So he brought a very security focused, um, you know, security focused experience to the business. The other partner, the other founding partner, uh, manages one of the island's most successful construction companies. So it's a company that specialized in building high-end hotels and high-end homes in Grand Cayman. Mm -hmm. And so together you had security and construction so you could build a really great facility and a really safe place to store people's gold and silver. But what they didn't have was much precious metals experience, which is why they reached out to me and offered uh, for me to come down to Grand Cayman and help run the business. Mm -hmm. And uh, initially we were only intending to be a storage facility. We weren't gonna sell gold and silver. Uh, we weren't gonna ship gold and silver on behalf of our clients. We were really just gonna receive it, keep it safe um, and collect storage fees. And about two weeks into the business, we realized that there was a great opportunity for us to sell as well. And clients really wanted one fully integrated solution where they could just call, buy, store, and eventually sell or take delivery of the metal. Right. So you now offer uh, not just vaults in the Caymans, but I understand you have vaults worldwide. Can you expand on where your vaults are? Sure. So the first few years, about 2015 through 2018, 19, we were really just focused on growing our business and came in and, and putting all of the metal that our clients wanted to store with us in Grand Cayman. But we realized that our clients were very international people. They were people that did business and traveled around the world and they were quite diversified themselves. So some of them were asking us, you know, about Singapore, for example, or Zurich often came up 
Canada as well, of course, as potential places to store metals. So we said, well, we have the infrastructure, we have the services, we have the staff, why don't we think about expanding our network? And today we, we've expanded a lot. We actually offer nine other locations outside of Cayman. Uh, so we have four locations in the United States. Uh, a lot of our clients are American, so we do offer domestic US uh, facilities. We have one in Canada, which is in Mississauga, Ontario. Uh, we have Zurich, Liechtenstein, uh, Singapore, and as far away as New Zealand. So there are many opportunities for people to diversify the concept being, you know, to kind of mitigate your risk by uh, diversifying your assets across multiple jurisdictions. But that's not for everyone. Um, I would say about 10% of our clients use more than one jurisdiction with us. Right. So uh, can you uh, expand on your American locations? I know of Texas, but where, where are your other vaults in the U.S.? Sure. So the original locations that we had in the States were Dallas, Texas, and Wilmington, Delaware. And we've recently added Miami, Florida, and Los Angeles, California. Okay. They're major population hubs, obviously. And there's a lot of gold trading in both those areas. So it was kind of a natural fit to add those two. Uh, I would say of the four, Dallas, Texas has been the most popular location in the U.S. Okay, interesting. So is, is SWP actually registered in Canada or it, it seems like it's partly a Canadian company, but it's registered in the Caymans. What, can you explain that or? Sure. Happy to clarify. In fact, happy to report that we are not a registered company in Canada. Okay. We uh, have remote workers, people that work and live in Canada, but all of our, our, our registration, uh, all transactions uh, happen within the Cayman Islands. So everything flows through our head office in Grand Cayman, and that is by design. We purposely do not want uh, attachments to Canada or the United States, and so we manage our business accordingly. So we have not yet, even though it is something that we are considering uh, at some point in the future, we haven't registered in Canada or the U.S. at this point. And at this point in time, that's probably a good thing, because for most of us, uh, who are trying to get our assets out of Canada. We quite like the idea that you're not reporting to Canada or the US. So that's, that's an appealing feature. And you're rare. Um, you're, you're the only gold company or precious metal dealer that I know of that seems to have that status, for instance, in the Caymans. Why, why have other companies not jumped on board? Uh, I'm, I am aware of a few other companies that are registered in Cayman, but strictly registered and not actually operating there. So obviously you can, anyone can open an offshore company, can register a corporation in a, another jurisdiction. There are many places like Cayman where you can do that, mm -hmm. but we are the only brick and mortar actual business that has staff and operates out of Grand Cayman right now that is a physical precious metals dealer and storage facility. Um, why haven't other people done it? One, uh, it is not the cheapest place in the world to run a business. It is not, um, you know, there are, there are real I guess you could say uh, challenges to overcome in running a business in the Caribbean that you, if I didn't have two partners that were born and raised there, it would make it exceedingly difficult. Mm -hmm. But because we have that insider edge in Grand Cayman and the, the, the knowledge of the, the jurisdiction and the connections in the jurisdiction to run a business successfully, I think that's one of the reasons we're, we're really the only ones that are doing it. Um, there were more when we started, but we've put two others out of business since we got there. So we must be doing something right in Grand Cayman. Mm -hmm. So you used to be with Kitco. How, mm -hmm. how are you different? How are you similar to Kitco and how are you different from Kitco? Yeah, I mean, Kitco is a, it's a fantastic company. Uh, we, we still, you know, do business with them. We, they have company, uh, sorry, clients that they refer to us for storage. And that's really the biggest difference between the two companies is that we, aside from being a precious metals dealer, which means, which is exactly what they do and what they are, we also own and operate our own vault. And Kitco at this point in time, I don't believe owns and operates their own vault. And they, they certainly don't own and operate a vault offshore. Mm -hmm. So our value add to their clients and to our clients is that we have this true offshore offering. Mm -hmm. And we also happen to be a precious metals dealer so we can also supply the metal. So the similarity is we both supply precious metals. The difference being that we're offshore. We are more of a boutique outfit. As you know, we're a little bit more personal uh, with our clients. We do cater to a higher kind of middle to high net worth client in general. Um, whereas Kiko is a more retail focused uh, mass marketing type of uh, outfit, but again, nothing, 
no knocks against kickoff, nothing but respect for them. And, and they got me started in my career. So, uh, you know, always a pleasure to, to visit them in Montreal and, uh, and give them uh, some credit. Yeah. yeah. So I do agree. You, you strike me as a boutique company and you say that you appeal to the middle to high net worth, uh, investor. Do you have a lot of clients who like to be quite anonymous? Is that a big drawing card? Because I think of the Caymans as a magnet for uh, banking. And now for precious metal storage as well, the same concept for anonymity. Is that something that you find with a lot of your clients that they're seeking? Well, I think that's a general trend these days. Uh, I think we've all come to realize that you know, through whether it be through our social media channels or, or our, our, our surfing habits online or depending on where you live in the world, even CCTV camera, you know, a lot of our lives are recorded. A lot of it is no longer private. So for a company like ours to offer the level of privacy that we can, um, our clients certainly value that. But I, I don't think that's unique to our clients. Yes, gold bugs you could call them tend to be private people and they tend to be contrarian by nature and they tend to question you know government overreach and things like that and we're certainly sensitive to that and we try our very best to accommodate them accordingly but i think yeah that's a general trend that we're all a little bit sick and tired of big brother and mm -hmm. and having one account in your life or one relationship in your life where it's a little bit more private than the others is probably refreshing for people mm -hmm. So really, you're not in a jurisdiction that you have to report to anyone. Uh, there's no, you don't have, the Caymans does not have any treaty with any other country and any obligation to report on assets held. Is that right? Uh, not exactly. So it, there's a, uh, you have to distinguish between banks and, and not, or financial institutions and non-financial institutions. That's really where the line gets drawn in the stand. So Cayman is fully compliant when it comes to financial institutions, they are, trust me when I say this, I mean, you know, people really, if they've never been to Cayman, never lived there, they have the wrong impression of what it is. It's a first world, first class banking center that is fully compliant with international banking laws. The headlines that you may see now and then coming from the EU where they've placed Cayman on a gray list um, is really political. It's, it's, it's based in politics. It's based in the fact that it's a U United Kingdom uh, overseas territory. And well, when England or the UK left the Eurozone, there was obviously um, some political pressure to, you know, to be applied there. And, and it affected a lot of relationships and, and Cayman just kind of finds itself in that whole conversation. And the EU likes to use Cayman to, to point fingers uh, when they have their own, you know, uh, tax havens, uh, as does the United States, in fact. So um, that's more of a political thing. Um, and you'll, you'll have to get me back on track with the original question. I know I meandered. I went off there so, a little bit. So what, what as, a, as a Canadian, um, I think a, a oh, reporting. I clients very often is who are they obligated to report to down in the county? Right. right. So I was just making the, the distinction between financial and non-financial institutions. So SWP is considered a non-financial institution. We are fully regulated in the Cayman Islands by the Department of Commerce and Investment. We are regulated uh, by the same department of the government there that regulates lawyers and real estate agents. So they've kind of lumped precious metals in with those other service providers. Mm -hmm. And so what that means for our business and our clients is we do not have any reporting requirements. Uh, that means we do not share their account balances. We do not share their account history uh, proactively. There is no reporting or anything like that. But that being said, if there is a request from government for information that comes through the grand courts of Cayman, so that the highest court in Cayman, if they issue a request for information about a client, we have a legal obligation, like any business that's operating there, to comply and to provide that information. But I can tell you, rest assured, it has only happened once in eight years. There was one client who was involved in child pornography, I believe, and the government made a request for information and we were happy to comply. Right. Okay. So your account in, uh, with SWP is set up as a number. Is that right? So are the identification or the identity of an account, how anonymous, what does that look like? Well, we provide our clients with a number. So an account number, like most businesses, you receive an account number with us. And that's 
the identifier, the unique identifier that we use quite often when we speak to our clients, when they're transacting on their invoices, so on and so forth. But of course, we collect, as you know, uh, we do collect more information uh, than, than just issuing a number. We do a, a rather detailed KYC on our clients. And the reason that we do uh, that KYC and the anti-money laundering background checks on all of the people that apply test WP is because we want to keep the bad apples out of the vault. Mm-hmm. Um, that is one other way that we protect our existing clients and our future clients is by regulating ourselves rather strictly and making sure that we don't have any uh, bad actors that are clients of ours because they're the ones that are going to attract government attention, whether it be Cayman Islands government, foreign government. So we really want to be careful. And so, yes, we do collect uh, when you open an account, you have to provide a passport and you have to provide a copy of a utility bill, which allows us to conduct the KYC and the AML. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So back to the topic on the vaults and the security of the vaults. Tell me about your vault security. Uh, I don't know too much <laughs> about that world of vaults. I've never visited a vault, but what? tell us about that. Well, you have to come, first of all, and this is really important, and we'll probably get back to this later, all of our clients are welcome to visit us in Grand Cayman. So you have to make an appointment. You don't just show up. It's a secure facility. You have to make an appointment and you have the opportunity to audit your, your precious metals and witness firsthand uh, a facility. So, you know, it's a real place and, and you feel comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of security, like I said earlier, one of my partners was involved in policing and, and security. The other partner was involved in building. So, we, we didn't reinvent the wheel. What we did is we actually visited other vaults around the world. We did research, or they did research before I was brought on between 2012, 2014. They visited four or five different vaults around the world, including the United States and, and some offshore locations, and, uh, and just gathered the best practices of those vaults and then implemented, obviously, with their own experience in building and, 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 and adding security, implemented their own uh, knowledge. And what we came up with was a facility that is, so some of the high level specs, uh, category five hurricane rated. So the building itself is the highest rating that a physical structure can have against surge. So against wave, against wind, against natural causes, natural disasters, things like that. Mm -hmm. Because when you're in the Caribbean, those are obviously things that you have to be alert about. Um, Beyond that, the, the, the spec of the, the, interior vault is a class three. So that's the highest rating that a a vault can have. And what that means, that class rating system is based on how long it would take a criminal to penetrate given a certain set of tools. So there's actually a company out there in the world that performs these tests. They have a bag of tools of tricks and they try to penetrate through walls and through vault doors. And then they establish a rating system accordingly. And so we went out and purchased a vault that is the highest rating uh, that you can, a class three uh, uh, modular vault. And, uh, and then you add to that, uh, obviously, uh, redundancies and like alarm systems, uh, offshore monitoring, uh, obviously cameras, uh, sensors, things like that. And you have a, a very secure space. But underneath all of that, and what's really important, uh, it, when you talk about storage of precious metals is the insurance. Mm. Because life has a way of teaching us that anything can happen or when things do happen that are unexpected, you have to have insurance for that. And we hold an insurance policy with through Marsh uh, with Lloyd's of London, and we insure every ounce of precious metals for its full replacement value inside of our vault. So um, that is the ultimate uh, security that we offer our clients really is if anything were to go wrong, we can, we can replace it for them. So if someone would like to do a virtual tour, tour. Is that possible as well? Uh, we do. So we offer virtual audits. So let's say you have metal with us and you would like to see your, your own personalized bin. And we can get into that a little bit more, but the way that we store everything is fully segregated and fully allocated. So every client has their own bin, unique bin. We will pull the bin off the shelf and we, one of our staff members in Cayman will actually do like a video audit of your stuff with you live on a zoom call. It's it's pretty interesting, actually, and it's a, it's a good way uh, to, to see your metal without getting on a plane and, and coming down to Grand Cayman. But we do not offer virtual tours of the vault because of security issues. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have to be careful about what we put online and what we disclose because there are people out there that make a living uh, on, uh, on, on those kind of uh, 
those kind of adventures. So we are careful about that. We try to be as transparent as we can, but we do draw the line uh, about there. That makes sense because ultimately you want to see, you want a tour of your holdings. You don't need to be walking through the facility, but you'd like mm -hmm. the camera to zoom in and, and see what it is you have. Talk to me a little bit more about the, like some vaults are not fully segregated. Yours are, each person has their own. Can you describe how the competition does it and how you do it and how you're different or superior? Or, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's really, that's a great question. It's so important that people understand the difference. I do videos on YouTube about this subject. I talk about it quite at length. Uh, one of the videos in particular shows visually what the difference is between the different options that you have. And depending on which option you select, it, it, it's going to affect how much you pay. So we chose to do it the old fashioned way, which is fully allocated, fully segregated, meaning that when you buy a bar or a coin or multiple bars or coins from us, they, we actually allocate unique bars and coins for you. So that's the allocation factor. It's not a paper product. It's not a receipt. It's not an IOU. It's not a large bar that we've subdivided amongst many clients. It is unique bars and coins attributed to you. So that's the allocation. We say fully allocated. Right. And the segregation is we put your stuff, your material in your own bin, which is closed and sealed and segregated from your neighbor's bin. So it's fully allocated, fully segregated, fully insured. We talked about the insurance earlier. Those are kind of the three key points. What other companies do is to save their clients money or to be more cost-effective, I guess you could say, is they will subdivide bars is a common practice. So they say, look, we are allocating physical metal to our clients. Yes, they have gone out and purchased a 400-ounce gold bar, for example, but then they've subdivided that bar amongst 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 clients, however many it takes to sell that bar, then they'll add to the pile. And that's okay for some people. There's nothing particularly wrong with that, except that you do not own that particular product. So you do not own personal property in the legal sense. When some, to own something, to own personal property and to have title of uh, uh, personal property. It has to be clearly distinguishable. It has to be allocated and, and fully allocated to you so that you have a direct claim. When you get into a situation, let's say, for example, a vault goes bankrupt or a vault is, is audited and they're short material. Well, who gets, who gets left stuck with the bill? Is it the first owner of that 400 ounce gold bar? Is it the second owner, third owner, fourth owner? You know what I mean? So it becomes very complicated and sad to say, but these things do happen in mismanaged vaults. Often it's banks, unfortunately, because banks do a terrible job with precious metals. It's like on the back burner downstairs somewhere and they just kind of mismanage the thing. Not saying all, but that's from my personal experience that when I've done audits in, in large banks, I've seen that kind of stuff. So it's really important. And the third way that people, that some, especially again, banks do this is they have an IOU. So they say, look, you know, Marianne bought 400 ounces of gold from us we're not actually going to go out and, and put a 400 ounce gold bar on the shelf. We're just going to write an IOU for Marianne. And, you know, when she asks us for that gold one day, then we'll go out on the market and buy that gold and deliver it to her. Well, again, you have issues if there's bankruptcy or fraud or any of those things, you've opened yourself up to third-party risk. And also, or also when you want to take delivery of that gold, let's say there's a shortage in the market or even worst case scenario, or more common, I, I should say not worst case scenario, more common is it's going to take you a really long time to get that gold because they're going to go order it off the open market and then deliver it to you, whereas it could already have been there. It should already have been there because you have paid for it to be there. So these are the, this is the fine print. These are the things that investors need to look into. And it's a good question. I'm happy you brought it up because it, it is one of my, it's really important because people will, will email us or call us and say, well, how come you're twice as expensive as these guys, you know, X vault over here. And we have to explain to them, well, it's because you're not actually getting fully allocated, fully segregated metal. You're getting a lesser product. Well, yeah, you're going to pay less for it, but it, it's not the same thing. And it's important that you know that. Well, and I think that this is the same with ETFs. I don't think the general populace understands the subtle difference between an ETF, which is a kind of a promissory note and owning physical gold in the fashion that you, 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 you're, you're using the traditional method. And I mm -hmm. feel as though with ETFs, 
you know, I've heard, I don't, maybe you can confirm this. I have heard that for every ounce of physical gold, there's 60 to hundred ounces of ETFs, gold ETF. Oh. Have you, have you heard that? Is that a, is that a fair <laughs> assessment of the situation? I have heard many numbers in my career. I've never heard one that high. They always send, seem to go up uh, the more we get into it, but I cannot confirm or deny the truth of that because I'm not privy to the only people that would know that are people that are operating the um, LBMA and COMEX approved vaults that store the metal that backs these ETFs. Um, they are the only people that would know. So it'd be a very small group of people within our industry that would have that knowledge. But I think there has been enough research, some whistleblowing over the years to give legitimacy to that argument. And if I've learned anything about how banks and large financial institutions that are operating ETFs or, or are offering paper gold products operate is that they leverage everything. So if they sold one ounce of gold or they've got one ounce of gold in their vault, they've leased it out 10 times over or more because oftentimes these gold storage, gold leasing programs are unregulated or lightly regulated. Uh, so it's difficult to enforce controls for, from, on behalf of clients. Mm -hmm. And obviously, yeah, well, we know how that goes. People are greedy. <laughs> they will make as much money as they possibly can on products. So ETFs are a great product if you are getting in and out of, I always say it's a great product if you're getting in and out of a trade rather quickly. It can be cost effective and very easy to do. Mm -hmm. But if you are looking to own gold and silver for the long run, when you think about the additional cost of doing it correctly, it's so nominal that there's really no argument not to own the property yourself legally. When you own gold and silver, you own personal property. There's no stronger rights as a, as a consumer than to own personal property directly. Nobody can take that property from you. Even government in a lot of cases has a lot, a very hard time seizing personal property. So um, that is the best way to do it versus, you know, a digit, in an account somewhere or a, a paper backed IOU, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, I would agree with you. I advise my clients to ditch their ETFs, their gold ETFs. I mean, I used to invest in ETFs as well until I discovered this tiny fact that it, 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 it seems to me a little bit more like a junk bond. It's not necessarily backed and there's the power of leverage. So mm -hmm. it's a lot of smoke and mirrors. I would much rather own the physical. I feel much more confident. And I like your, your style of having the gold physically in my bin with my name on it. Uh, I think that transparency uh, is very important to people because there's so much mistrust. On that note, actually, uh, talk to me about if there's an internet problem or if there's a cyber attack do you have any mechanisms or um, precautions in place if, if the internet goes down or if you are you susceptible to a cyber attack or because of the physicality of your holdings, maybe you're not, you know, it won't affect you at all, but can you comment on that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, a difficult question in the sense that we're all uh, subject to the same types of risks, whether it be in our personal lives or our business lives. Mm -hmm. Of course, cyber attacks are a reality. It's something that we've, we've um, dealt with in terms of our processes, procedures, you know, security, spending money to protect our business and our clients, something that we address regularly. Um, I can tell you that, but you know, there's no perfect answer. There's no bulletproof. It can't happen to us. It can't happen to anybody. Anyone who tells you it can't happen to them is, is lying. And you look, take it, for example, many Fortune 500 companies that have billions of dollars to spend on their infrastructure and their security, and they still get hacked and their, and their clients are still subject to risk. So I don't want to lie and say that it's impossible because we all know anything. If, if you throw enough money and resources at it, anything can be done in, in this world. But what I will say is in terms of um, the internet going down, so phones, Old, we, we still have landlines. You can still communicate with us via telephone, vice versa. If telephones don't work, we have instant chat. We have email, our staff. One, one advantage, and I also often like to point out, is that we're not all in Cayman. Mm -hmm. 
So some of us live and work in Canada, others live and work in the United States. We have staff that live and work in Mexico now. So we're, we are diverse enough that if something were to happen in Grand Cayman, for example, you still have the ability to communicate with us, um, those of us who work elsewhere. But at the end of the day, regardless of what the threat is, worst case scenario, what happens to the physical metal in the vaults? That's what's key because so long as that metal is safe, then you haven't lost anything. You might, there might be a day or two where we all panic and can't touch base with each other, Mm -hmm. but you haven't lost anything until the metal moves. So at the end of the day, what happens is we lock the big door. We call it the big door. We lock the big door. The big door is not reopened until the dust settles. That is the ultimate fail safe is you just close the door to the safe, lock it until all the dust settles and we are able to again, get back online and, and, and help people out. We saw a glimpse of that when COVID occurred because you had government mandated lockdowns that were disrupting business all over the world. And it came out of the blue. I mean, it went from, oh, people are getting sick to, you know, basically things, I'll give you real life examples, FedEx saying, we're not delivering to the Cayman Islands now because we, you know, the safety of our staff and, you know, the governments aren't allowing flights and all these crazy, you know, ridiculous things that were happening because people were panicking and making terrible decisions. So at one point, we're informed by FedEx saying we can't deliver to the Cayman Islands. And FedEx is the, the premier courier that we use to move a lot of metal to Cayman. Um, it's all insured and secured, and they have different means of moving metal than they would like an average parcel. But the point is the plane wasn't landing. <laughs> so we went out and rented our own private plane to get stuff to Cayman. It, it's just something we had to do. We were able to, even though the government told us that in Cayman that we weren't um, allowed to operate our business as we usually would, we still found a way to do it. We didn't close for a single day. Uh, We never were offline. We were always open to our clients throughout COVID. So we've never been closed, even though many, many businesses closed their doors for extended periods of time, we never did. So it was an example of something that could go totally wrong and we were able to come through it and still offer our client service. So you sound very nimble and very responsive to the current economic, (laughs) you know, constraints. You're, it seems like you're very responsive. And, and that actually lends a lot of confidence to your company. You, you've kind of proven that in the past, when there's some adversity, you figure out ways to maneuver, which is very helpful. Because we're, well, we're, yeah. we're living in a lot of uncertainty right now. So I think that if you, you, know, if you present yourselves as capable of, of being flexible and uh, creative, Well, we are very entrepreneurial group. Uh, The three owners, I can tell you, we it's it's a double edged sword, as you can imagine, because we always want to do more. And, um, you know, it leads to a lot of work. But the the benefit to our clients is, you know, we've grown up a very well managed business. And we do exactly what we say we're going to do. And, and when we if we make a mistake, we correct it. Mm-hmm. And we are we're loyal to our clients and 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 we're as a private business versus a bank, for example, mm-hmm. you know, if 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 I'm sure there's a lot of people that that work for a bank or when when the government says, hey, you know, we're closing, we're closing doors for a couple of days here. The banks have those are happy to go home. They're like, oh, it's a holiday. Our business is different. We're private people. This is a private business. Mm-hmm. Our livelihoods depend on servicing our clients. So we can't close. Mm. we're not happy to close. We want to sell more gold and we want to store more gold. And that, you know, that really drives people uh, to be the best you can. We have to compete with other offshore jurisdictions like Zurich and Singapore that are excellent jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very well established. They're very good at what they do. So we don't, there's no opportunity to take days off. Uh, even though, even though you'd like to go snorkeling in Grand Cayman, there's no opportunities to do so that. So in those countries, I've, I understand that Kitco uses your vaults in the Caymans, because they have clients that want uh, their their gold stored with you, uh, or in that country. Uh, likewise, are you using other companies' vaults? I, from what I understand, you have an association or affiliation with IDS. Is it? Or uh, mm-hmm. give me give me a rundown of who you work with, or because yeah. you own your vaults all over the world. Is that right? It's a yeah. It's a very good question. I'm happy to be fully transparent. We are transparent with that fact on our website. Uh, we don't say that we own and operate all the vaults. So when a precious metals company 
offers storage, there's two possibilities. Possibility A is that they own and operate a vault. We own and operate the vault in Grand Cayman. So we are an owner and operator. Mind you, the other locations that we offer our clients worldwide, we do not own and operate those vaults. They're owned by third parties and operated by third parties. We try to select in those situations, the best partners that we can that are aligned with our own values and our own services for our clients. And we think we've done that. Um, so IDS uh, is one that we use. They operate in, in Canada. They operate in Texas and in, in uh, Wilmington, Delaware. Then we have Loomis International, which is a very large vaulting operator out of based in uh, Europe. Mm-hmm. We vault with them in Miami, Los Angeles, and in Zurich mm-hmm. and Singapore. And then there's two other private operators like ourselves, uh, one in New Zealand and one in Liechtenstein, which are you know similar in nature to, to SWP, where they only operate own and operate one vault, and we also work with them. So it's a very good question. And the difference, there's an advantage and a disadvantage there. So as a client or an investor, if you're saying to yourself, well, I could, if SWP doesn't own and operate that vault in that other place that I'm interested in. You know, is that good for me or is it bad for me? The, the negative side of that is, is that if you work with SWP, you don't have a direct relationship with the ownership group. Or you're not contracting directly with the group that's op- actually operating the vault. So there is, you could say there's third-party risk that, that enters the, the, the scenario because now you're dealing with SWP instead of directly with the vault operator. The benefit though, or the other side of that is twofold. Number one is that you can only have, you can manage one relationship with SWP in up to 10 locations. So you can literally have one account and have metal in 10 different places and speak to one salesperson and move and do all those things that you want to do with one single relationship. That's the benefit. The second benefit is more from a privacy standpoint. When SWP contracts with those third-party vaults, the amount of information that we give them about our clients is very limited. So if you're storing assets, let's say in Liechtenstein with SWP in a vault that's managed by a third party, you still have ownership of that metal. The ownership is not in question, but the amount of information that we're disclosing to that third party vault is less than they would ask you if you came to them directly. So for some people, that is a value. For others, it's not, but for some, it is. So it it really depends what your preference might be there. Mm -hmm. So in essence, with working... with a single company like your own, it affords you the option to have your gold stored around the world and you're diversifying across vaults and yet you only have one point person to deal with. So for efficiency's sake, it affords diversification in a simple manner. It does. It also allows you to continue processing all your transactions through the Cayman Islands. It also allows you to deal, like you said, with one person. So you eliminate time, time differences. So like time zones, for example, if you're dealing with a company in Singapore, you're basically, or New Zealand is probably a better example. You're 12 hours off their, their timing. And in the case of Singapore, even Liechtenstein, you can run into, uh, I would say language barriers. You're dealing with Germans or Swiss. I'm not to say they don't speak good English. They do, but the culture is different. The understanding of instructions can be different. Uh, there's a little bit of a struggle. I mean, even on a commercial level, sometimes we have to, you know, ask again because it's not as clear to them as what you and I might understand when we speak to each other. So it eliminates some annoyances. It's more convenient. It's more timely and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, one question a lot of my clients ask me is what about Panama? People are quite mm-hmm. intrigued with Panama. Are you looking at adding Panama as a location of a vault? Or so there is a vault in Panama. And if not, yeah. <laughs> there's a vault in Panama. We're very familiar with the, the group that runs the vault. Um, we have spoken to them about adding the facility to our network mm-hmm. several times. The problem that we have, and this is just full transparency, um, Panama is not, and this is not us making this up, Panama is treated from an insurance point of view as I believe a second world country in terms of risk, fraud, and other other things that insurance companies look at when they make evaluations and they offer you rates. As a result of that, we cannot offer as competitive rates as we'd like to because we'd be working with a third party there. We haven't been able to come to agreement on the rates. 
The jurisdiction itself, uh, I'm not tremendously familiar with. I've never been to Panama. Um, I've never read the Panama Papers. So I'm not uh, an expert on the jurisdiction, but I can tell you that we've looked at it. We know them. We may, if there was one other place we'd add, it would probably be them, to be honest. Um, but just the terms haven't made sense for us yet. Hopefully they will. Hopefully they're watching. They can offer us better terms. Yeah, <laughs> I think it, it, be, it, it might be a, um, a good addition to the family, so to speak. And yet when I hear about these security issues, maybe I don't, you know, maybe I wouldn't want my money in Panama. So yeah, it's, it's a valid concern that you have. Um, another question I have is a lot of my clients already own gold, either in their possession at home, or they have money in a vault with another company. How can they get mm -hmm. that gold to you? What's the process? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and most people that own gold have it at home or in a safe deposit box or, you know, under the mattress and, you know, many buried in the backyard. There's many places to put it. Um, we have a, so that's part of our service. We have a logistics team and we will, so basically all we need to know from you is how much is it? So what is it? So once you're in contact with us, you don't have to open an account. You can just ask for a quote, mm -hmm. contact us, provide us with a, a list of what it is you want to transfer. And we can provide you with a quote based on that information to get it to one of our facilities, whether it be in Canada or whether it be in Cayman or Singapore or another place. And we handle all of the logistics for you. So we set up <clears throat> all the paperwork with either FedEx or if it's a bigger movement, it would probably use Loomis, which is an armored car company. Um, so some clients have a lot stored at a bank, for example, we would hire Loomis. We, we set up all of the logistics. We do all the export import documentation, all the customs clearance, everything for the client. Literally, they just have to provide us with the information that we need to do that. And uh, that's part of our service. So we, we move a lot of metal from around the world to Grand Cayman so, to other places. So people could even move uh, gold from other companies' vaults and you could- Absolutely. Okay, so that's a possibility. That's a really, <clears throat> that's a big one. Are there tax consequences? If I have uh, gold in a Canadian vault and I'm trying to get it down to the Caymans, I, I'm not gonna hit, get hit with a, okay, so it's- No, because you, you haven't sold it. Mm -hmm. you haven't sold it. So you, there's no capital gains as long as you don't sell the material okay. and there it's, it's completely legal. Uh, you're allowed to transfer personal property. Remember we're talking about personal property. You're allowed to transfer personal property from country to country. Mm -hmm. um, there is no tax consequences. There is no export tax and there is also no import tax in the Cayman. So there's no financial, the only cost to you is to pay the shipping bill. Okay. That's what it'll cost you. Yeah. Okay. So that's made very easy. Uh, can we talk a little bit about the quality of the precious metals that you offer up? How do we know that they're authentic? <laughs> what, what's the process whereby you authenticate the metals that you're selling? So there's two scenarios. Scenario number one is we are selling precious metals to you. Mm -hmm. uh, which is probably what you what you're getting at and why most people would want to know they're authentic. So the way that we authentic so first of all, I should say we guarantee the authenticity. So that's actually in our contract with you is when we sell you metal, we guarantee the authenticity. If it's ever discovered that what we've sold you by our own fault or by simple ignorance on our part, mm -hmm. if we've sold you something that is not authentic, legally we have an obligation to replace it with something that's authentic. It's never happened but it's in the contract to add assurance to the client. The way that we do that, the way that we guarantee that is we only buy from either directly from mints, refiners, or authorized distributors of those mints and refiners. So in, if we can go direct to the source, we do. In cases where we cannot go direct to the source because of commercial uh, agreements that exist already, we'll go to a distributor of that refinery or of the vault. So that's the, the, the first way when we're sourcing the material, we're sourcing it from reputable parties directly. Mm -hmm. the, second, the second potential situation is what we call secondary market products. So let's say you own gold mm -hmm. already, and then you transfer it to us in Cayman. Mm -hmm. So the way that that material is treated is that we would accept it from you uh, and we call this uh, from a legal perspective, it's called said to contain. So we do not authenticate your gold upon receipt. Mm -hmm. We take it at face value 
mm-hmm. because it's very difficult to authenticate certain products and it's very costly. And it actually, in certain cases, it destroys the product. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we accept it on a set to contain ba- uh, basis. You will pay a storage based on what you've told us it is. But when you go to sell it to us, which would then, it would enter our ecosystem as a seller mm-hmm. because we would then resell that potentially to another client. At that point, we will authenticate the product using tools that we have. So you've got visual weight, electromagnet, um, uh, electri- electrical, uh, and then magnetism are the tests that we can do in Cayman. If it's a product that we can't authenticate, then it would have to be sent to a laboratory, which is rare. That's usually 1,000-ounce silver bars, 400-ounce gold bars, very large bars. They have to be sent to a refinery. They have to be melted. It destroys the product. It's the end of the lifeline of the product, effectively. Mm-hmm. But in most cases, we will test them, authenticate them ourselves. If they're good, then they enter our ecosystem and we can sell them again as well. That's a secondary market product. Well, that's that's good to know then. So if you're passing them along, you authenticate them before another happens. Yes investor gets them. Um, tell me what your offerings are in terms of precious metals and, and the quantities. Like in, for instance, in gold, you've got the ounce, the kilo. Um, maybe expand on what offerings you have, not only in gold, but other precious metals. Sure, so we, we offer five precious metals. There are five precious metals, we offer them all. You have gold, silver, obviously platinum, palladium, and rhodium. And I would encourage people that if they're already investing in gold and silver, that they consider owning some either platinum, palladium, or rhodium, because those three are part of the same group of metals and have similar industrial applications. They're all used in vehicles and motor vehicles. So anyways, it's good to have some exposure to those. We offer bars and coins um, pretty much across the board, ranging from one ounce of silver all the way up to thousand ounce silver bars. Gold range from one ounce all the way up to, well, you can even do fractionals. We don't tend to sell a lot of those, but one ounce all the way up to 400 ounce gold. And the same with platinum, palladium, and rhodium. We do have minimums. Uh, Minimum order size is 200 ounces of silver or three ounces of gold. So it's about 5,000 US dollars, 6,000, depending on the price of gold or silver. We think that that that's reasonable. We're not trying to cut people out of the market, but at a certain point, it's not commercially profitable to, to sell smaller amounts. And we have no maximum. We have completed very large transactions. Um, so there is no ceiling on how much you can buy from, from us. Mm-hmm. So who is buying a gold these days? I, I mean, you can't divulge who your clients are, of course, but I guess my first question is who is buying and have you noticed an uptick in purchases or interest in precious metals over the last year or two? Well, definitely. I mean, that's uh, the last two years has been have been the best two years for precious metal dealers in the last decade. So the last time that we saw this level of demand for physical metal was after the financial crisis in 2008 through 2011, when gold went up 140 percent, silver went up 400 percent. That's the last time that we saw this much demand. And, and it's been driven, obviously, by COVID was a major driver. Uh, then you had the government seizures in Canada um, with the bank. It wasn't gold and silver. They were seizing, obviously, it was bank accounts and their threats and their, the laws that they were, the emergency act that they enacted that gave them the power to do that. That spurred a lot of Canadians to move offshore, to diver- diversify their savings into metal. You have the war, obviously, between Russia and the Ukraine. And now, and, and probably more sad, sad to say, not more important than the war, but more of a long-term influence the biggest factor right now is inflation. You know, inflation running at over 10%. Um, re- in reality, it's, it's probably somewhere around 12%. It's, it, it, you know, we could see it as high as 20%. By the time everything is said and done, there's so much debt and credit mm-hmm. in the system, injected into the system over the last few decades, really, but especially in the last two or three years, government's response to COVID was to basically bail out everything and to just you know, just print as much money as they, you know, at this point, they realize they printed too much. That's why they're scrambling to raise rates. They're trying to control the situation that they created. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's drive. That, all of that is driving new buyers into the market. So yes, we are seeing new buyers in the market, but we're also seeing, obviously, you always have the loyal gold and silver investors that constantly reallocate to their positions or sell, rebuy, you know, they really manage it as part of their overall portfolio. Um, so you're seeing both right now and it's very busy. 
Uh, you talk to anyone in our industry, will tell you they've had a great two years and they're as busy as they can remember being. Are you able to say how much busier, like has your business doubled or tripled this year or how good? It, uh, well, yeah, I can tell you that it has tripled since the beginning of COVID. So the year prior to COVID, which was 2019, it's all a blur now, 2019 was an average year for dealers and for the industry. And it, for most people, they'd probably say it's either doubled or tripled. In our case, it, it tripled. Um, well, that, that aligns with where I'm directing people with their money right now, because as a, when I was an investment advisor, stockbroker, gold was to me a little bit of an aside. I used to direct people into buying um, gold producers, you know, the barracks of the world, but I didn't really advise people to buy gold bullion. I thought, you know, you get more leverage off buying the producer. But now mm-hmm. I, I say to my clients, in my mind, gold... Uh, physical gold and silver are better than a bank account and you can use them as a it's a hard asset in in um in lieu of having the traditional bank account and it's liquid Mm -hmm. it's international so i'm a big advocate and you know if you'd asked me a few years ago i paid no attention to gold to me real estate was a very interesting asset class the stock market and and to me right now, the physical metals are one of my favorite asset classes, along with other hard assets um, like farmland. Um, mm-hmm. But, there, you know, it, it's, I can see the attraction. So I'm not surprised to hear that you've, you've seen a tripling in, in your business, because I think people are feeling quite nervous about the other asset classes, especially with the Canadian banks, with what they, mm-hmm. you know, with that um, freezing of accounts, that has scared a lot of people away from holding their money in Canadian banks. So I'm glad to hear Absolutely. it making its way to you. Uh, my last question is something that has intrigued me, but puzzles me. Uh, why is the gold price set twice a day? Why is gold not moving like any other commodity based on supply and demand? Do you understand why the gold price is set every day? And to me, that reeks of manipulation. And mm. what and a follow from that is: should the gold price actually, the real price, be much higher? Because okay. yeah. So if you can provide some <clears throat> insight on that. Yeah, sure. So uh, the I think what you're referring to is the London fix. You have an AM and a PM price, which yes, you're right. It's a very antiquated, historical, old school means of doing it. Now this started well before the internet. Uh, This is the method that was used in London uh, to set um, the gold price for the day's trading. And so before the internet, uh, and I believe even before, you know, we're talking around the time telephones started being used, there would be a group of influential people and that those people in those groups, those banks that participate have changed over the years. Some banks no longer exist, others pulled out. Uh, some got caught for manipulation. So yes, it has been manipulated. Uh, so they would gather and set the price. And like anything that was set by human beings, they would set it in their own favor at times in order to make more money on their transactions, on their bank's positions or on their personal positions. So yes, the London fix fixing, it still exists. It is not used very often in our in in, in my world. All of the trading that's done with our clients and I would say at a retail level, at least as far as I'm aware, 99% of transactions are based on spot price on the, which is the, the price that you see tick all day long for gold and silver and traded in Asia and in Europe. I mean, everyone, the spot price is a 24 hour rolling live price. Um, so that's really what we're using now. So when you call and place an order, we're not looking at the London fix. We're looking at the spot price, but the London fix. Yes, there is this uh, definitely room for manipulation because it's literally, I don't, I know they have controls in place now and I, don't, I haven't read their guidelines and their rules. I really don't care because it doesn't impact our business. But back in the day, yes, there was definitely room for manipulation there. Um, why, why is the price not higher? I think was the, the final question. I I, wow, that's my, the my, hardest question of all. <laughs> I think I've heard some uh, analysts or gold bugs say that the gold price is based on paper gold, not physical gold. Mm-hmm. 
So the mm -hmm. real price of physical gold should be much higher. Uh, and so, you know, mm -hmm. it's confusing, but my sense is if, if, for example, you've seen gold demand go up threefold this year, it mm -hmm. seems to me that the gold price is much not. lower mm -hmm. than what it should be. Do you think it's artificially suppressed? Um, again, I'm not privy to that. I've never been in a room or had a drink with someone who worked for an institution that was suppressing the price and told me, you know, after too many beers that that's the reality. I've read the same things you have. Mm -hmm. I've had these discussions many times in my life, um, but I'm not privy to it. So I don't want to sit here and say, oh yes, it's manipulated. I can tell you for a fact, but when you look at the way that the market is structured, you do have a, a, a massive amount of paper trading that's going on versus physical. Physical is still, even though all those paper contracts are supposed to, most of them, if, if you read the fine print, would probably say they're backed. Uh, they should be. I don't know why you would buy a contract if it wasn't, but most of them are supposed to be. But when you look at the reality of the trading volumes every day, the amount of physical versus that changes hands and goes to retail investors, it, it makes up retail investors make up about 50% of the market in terms of physical, but retail investors also use ETF products. They use all kinds of different paper products. So at the end of the day, the paper dominates the market, probably 90, 10 to one in terms of volume, maybe even more than that. Mm -hmm. So when you look at it that way, yes, the, 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 the paper price is going gonna, is gonna, is gonna to have a stronger influence, obviously, than the physical demand for metals. And if you stripped away all that leveraged paper and just looked at the number of physical ounces being bought and sold, the supply and demand, yes, there's a strong argument that the price should be higher. But a mentor of mine told me, and he wrote a book about it, and this is true of any financial market where humans, anywhere humans are, there's manipulation. So the, the point is, is that you can't do anything about it. We as investors have zero control over manipulation and how it impacts the price. So all you can do is base your decisions based on what you can control, the facts that you have at hand. So to say, well, the price of gold should be 10,000 an ounce. Well, that's great to say that, but it's not going to happen because the market is what it is. Mm -hmm. And so you need to be realistic. And this is what I tell clients. If gold goes to $3,000 an ounce or 2,500 US an ounce, the US dollars, you should be happy about that. That is a good return for you. You've made 50% return on your investment. You should be selling some of that gold, using those profits to reinvest in other asset classes that are undervalued at this time. Eventually, you might end up back in gold once gold becomes undervalued again, but it's all cyclical. Gold is a cyclical investment as well, like any investment. So there are times it is better to buy gold. There are times it's worse to buy gold. Now is one of those times I think is a good time to buy gold. But the point being, we can't control it. So let's not lose any sleep over it and let's plan accordingly. Mm -hmm. that's my my advice to people you have any sense that like back in 2008 with the with the crumbling of the financial institutions in the u.s and all the corruption that was kind of exposed like the house of cards came down do you have a sense that that could happen in the world of gold with all the paper gold products because some of the gold the, some of the gold analysts have suggested that it's like a house of cards and well, when, it, when it does fall and this you know the the world um, sees that the paper gold is backed by nothing. There could be mm -hmm. there could be quite a, a bounce on the physical precious metals. Do you do you agree that that's a possibility or? It's certainly a, it's certainly a possibility. Um, if government got very serious about regulating our industry, mm -hmm. then it's it's a, it's a possibility because the only people that are going to make that happen would be the government because financial institutions have no interest in regulating themselves if it means it's going to cost them money. Mm -hmm. So that leaves us with the government, which is inept, uh, understaffed in most cases, um, understands nothing about gold. Literally, there. I bet, you know, <laughs> if you interviewed people at the Treasury in Canada, you know, Central Bank about gold and how it works and how they could correct the situation, they're probably clueless, completely clueless. So um I don't see it happening. So it's a question of likeliness. And I don't think it's very likely under the current environment. Gold is not a significant enough asset class today to justify that kind of attention, which is good for us as investors and operators, because we fly under the radar a little bit. 
and we get to enjoy some privacy. And if you play your cards right, you can still make a good return over a longer period of time with gold. You know, it's up 500% since 2000. Mm -hmm. So if you told me at the beginning of 2000, I can make five times my money by buying an ounce of gold, I'd say that's a pretty good investment overall. Mm -hmm. You know, it might not be the best investment. You know, maybe I made more in Bitcoin, but if you guaranteed me 500 points on something, I'd, I'd probably take that. So if a client comes to me and says, how should I allocate my investment? Do you have any opinion on the ideal allocation amongst, you know, the different precious metals? Well, the first part to that, and I'll, I'll have to run after this, Marianne, because I'm running late for, for another call. But the first part of that answer is they need to determine the allocation in their overall portfolio. How much do I allocate to gold and silver? Mm-hmm. The, the, unfortunately, the general rule that you will hear from a fine, if a financial advisor is even willing to put gold on the table and as part of the conversation, they usually say 5% mm-hmm. because they don't, they don't, they don't even know that they've taken that number from a textbook from 1970 and just it's stuck in the industry and it, nobody ever looks into it. But the data that I've seen and the studies that I've seen about the ideal allocation in an overall portfolio is about 18 to 22%, depending on the market conditions. It's quite heavy, actually, on precious metals. Um, and then once you've determined how much you're going to allocate, it's a question of what are you going to allocate to? Is gold, silver, platinum, palladium? General rule. Now, this fluctuates depending on what's happening in the world. And uh, obviously, there are market conditions that, like, for example, when you talk about platinum and palladium, if people are buying more cars, if the auto industry is producing a lot of vehicles, that's a good time to own platinum and palladium. Or if there's a, a in Russia right now, which is a large producer of platinum and palladium, they're actually, you know, the refineries in Russia have been banned from the, the good delivery list. So there's less platinum and palladium on the market. So another good time to buy. But my, the long story short, I would say general rule, 60% gold, 30% silver, 10% platinum, palladium, or rhodium. That's a general rule. Um, I would not have more than 30% silver. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, silver is looking like a little bit of a bum these days. It's not performing the way that it should be. And it's not because I don't like silver. I'm just giving like kind of a reality check for silver bugs. They always think it should be worth two, $300 an ounce. It just hasn't been performing that way. And so I would say, be careful with silver, be careful with your expectations with silver right now. I think, you know, if we can get back to $30 an ounce, $50 an ounce, that's, that's a big achievement for silver. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't allocate more than 30% of my my portfolio now, is silver when you, right now. When you talk about an allocation of say 20% in precious metals, I would have said that five years ago, but now with the central banks looking like uh, they're collapsing, you know, and fiat currency is collapsing, uh, what other asset class is as attractive in your mind? You know, I, I well, that's, this is the tricky bit because yeah. normally I agree with you. Um, gold in a traditional portfolio. 20% is, is, is generous, but I can't really think mm. of a better asset right now, aside from boats, planes, hard assets, um, mm. I can't, and land if it's in the right country. But I, I'm hard pressed to find another hard asset that is comparable. Um, do you have I agree. I mean, speaking, that? yeah, speaking to investors right now, especially with when you factor in inflation, not just Mm-hmm. you know, the amount of debt and credit in the system, but well, created, you know, those things created the inflation. Um, yeah. The question is where, you know, and, and what pick, pick, pick the best of the worst right mm-hmm. now. And, right now. you know, in the last couple, yeah. yeah, the last couple of weeks, even gold and silver, everything is taking a hit. The mark NASDAQ had its worst month since 2009 mm-hmm. in April. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a really tough market, even for really seasoned investors. Mm -hmm. So what you want right now is stability and assurances. Mm -hmm. You want to know what you're buying. So, I mean, if you could, the problem with inflation is even if you put it in the bank, you can't earn enough to to justify that. Um, You need to be looking at some sort of potential return or to at least protect yourself on the downside. So gold and silver obviously are a good choice. And, And I am longer than 20%. You know, because I work in the business and I and I use it as a bank account, like you said earlier. I hold literally zero dollars in my bank account, like mm-hmm. literally zero. Mm-hmm. Um, my savings are gold and silver. Yeah. Uh, well, this is That's what it. I'm, I, this is exactly what I'm advising my clients. I've said in the past, 
the bank accounts were fine. In fact, Canadian banks were considered probably, uh, you know, the most secure in the world. But I've lost confidence in the bank and I've lost confidence in our government. Uh, so to me, yeah, I do view precious metals as a place to put your money somewhere secure that has a good track record and it's liquid. And uh, if you're diversified in vaults around the world, how, how much better can it get? I think that that's a very um, protective sort of position to take. But um, you know what, Mark, I'm gonna let you go. So Mark Yaxley, thank you so much for um, telling us the ins and outs of strategic wealth preservation. And I, I just appreciate the time that you've taken out of your busy day. No, you're welcome. Thanks, it was a pleasure and some great questions. And uh, look forward to doing it again some point. Okay, thank you. Yes.